So church, let's, um, let's get into the word. Um, I just want to pray if that's okay, and then we'll get right into it. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are here, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the beautiful time of worship. Holy Spirit, I just pray um, that, you know, what I heard this week actually was so profound. Holy Spirit, you do the heavy lifting, not us. And I submit my heart and, and submit um, every intention and every uh, attempt to, to bring your word into your care and into your mighty hand. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do the heavy lifting. You do the talking in people's hearts and uh, commit this whole service and this next part of the service into your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, so I just want to share a word, one that I kind of, earlier in the year, I shared a bit on, but I've, I've called this uh, the importance of relationship, but revised. So there's a little bit more that I wanted to share about the importance of relationship. And so I'll just reflect for a moment on how hard it was, and I'm sure you could probably agree with me, that um, during our pandemic time, right, of um, as a nation, as a state, New South Wales, that's where I was living at the time, um, the inability to connect with others became really, really difficult. You know, for, for some, it might have been a novelty to begin with. I don't have to go into work. I can stay in my pajamas. Um, this is terrific, right? I'm saving money on petrol. There were a few little perks, you know, maybe at the beginning. But as time went on, I don't know about you, but for me, it felt like a part of life's oxygen was cut off. It was like, I'm not able to, you know, physically be with anybody. I, I, you know, the, the camera just doesn't cut it, right? And of course, Zoom audience, I appreciate that you are here and the fact that you've made the effort to come on. I'm not having a go at you in any way. But to not be in that relationship, it felt like, it felt difficult, like as if a part of my oxygen was cut off. You know, I know young people struggled, and I won't even speak about some of the, you know, sad outcomes that happened at the time, right? Some statistics that went up were, were pretty, pretty terrible, right? But the point is, God made us to be relational. He really did. He made us to be relational, not to be alone, not to do this life isolated, but to be in community, from the beginning, God said to Adam, it is good that man should, sorry, it is not good. <laughs> I said that completely wrong. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And every man in the building said, amen, right? Thank God for, for Joe. She's running around doing so many things on a Sunday. My running partner and somebody I couldn't do life without. But let me talk a little bit more about relationship from the word. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone. Woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's a 
beautiful couple verses that talk about the fact that we're not meant to do life alone, right? And of course, you know, some of it maybe is in the context of marriage, lying together and, and, and all that. But at the beginning it says, you know, two are better than one. We're not meant to be alone. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says this, and I love this verse, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Does anyone have a friend that they can think of that when they are with that friend, it feels as if iron is sharpening iron? I know I do. There are people that I associate with, people that I you know, intentionally choose to have time with because when I'm with that person or those people, it's as if iron is sharpening iron. It's a, it's a, a transaction that occurs that is life-giving and that is beneficial for my spirit and for their spirit in the Lord. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Again, pointing out and making it really clear that you're not meant to do it alone. A friend loves at all times, and I praise God for those in my life who I can call friend. Jesus himself teaches us about the importance of relationship by calling those who do his will family. Now, you might have remembered a couple months ago, and if you didn't, all good. I shared this beautiful part of Matthew 12 that kind of Jesus kind of helping us understand that relationship in the body of Christ is not just, you know, uh, just a friendship and that's about it. It actually goes much deeper. And it says here in 1246, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And I love the fact that Jesus teaches us that relationship in the body of Christ is more than just a friendship that we share, but we are actually family. You know, and I know for me, family means a lot to me. You know, I'm, I'm Polish. You know, my blood is Polish, born in Australia. So I guess I'm an Australian Polish uh, uh, human being. But I love my family and, and my family means so much to me. But what a joy it is to know that family is not just blood, but in the body of Christ, look around you, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I know for Joe and myself, what helped us overcome the thought of leaving our community and our friends and family in the body of Christ was that in Canberra, we have a family, the body of Christ, who would welcome us with open arms and who would love us authentically and who would you know, bring us in. And that's exactly what happened. And I praise God for that. 
Now, let me say something. The passage might, this last passage I read might challenge you or encourage you, depending on how some people have experienced life. Maybe some of us are convicted because we don't treat our fellow, our, our fellow believers like family. Maybe we don't. I associate with these people on a Sunday, but that's about it. Others might have a bad taste in your mouth when I mention the word family because of what you've experienced. And I'm not going to downplay that because, you know, we experience different uh, trials and tribulations. And sometimes the, the hardest of those trials are when you have uh, difficulty with family, right? And so I can understand that some, depending on who you are, when I say family, it might be not the best kind of thought in your mind. But can I encourage you that the family of Christ is different? It really is. God can restore your perspective of family as you embrace your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I wanted to begin today's word with establishing how important the body of Christ is, family, and how important it is for us not to do our faith journey alone. Scripture after scripture, and then of course, the words of Jesus highlight the importance of doing our life, this spiritual journey together with others, not alone. But let me ask a question. What's the danger of being disconnected to the body of Christ? What is the danger? Okay, we've talked about the, the wonder of being in family in the body of Christ. But what's the danger? The devil would love to kill, steal, and destroy those who are isolated and alone. When you disconnect from the body of Christ, you become an easier target for the enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I've got an awesome clip that I want to show you that will help me kind of illustrate this. This is where Christians misunderstand how Satan works. Scripture describes Satan as a lion looking for somebody to devour. Most people think that lions hunt by using just their sheer strength and intimidation, but in reality, lions are one of the most patient predators and they stalk their prey because they know that whatever they're hunting most of the time can either outrun them or is in a herd which is collectively stronger than them. But the lion knows that as long as he waits patiently, one within the herd is eventually gonna fall behind close enough for the lion to reach once he attacks. The devil is most likely not trying to destroy you head on. He's probably sitting there patiently waiting for us to be weak and to be isolated. He knows he can't get to us as long as we flee temptation, and he also knows that we're definitely stronger than him as a body of Christ. So what he'll do is he'll patiently wait for us to remove ourselves from community, to start to compromise, to weaken our spirit, and then that's when he knows he can attack and that's how he wins. Really powerful description of how the devil, you know, his ploy to be able to take us out. And I asked, what was the danger of being disconnected to the body of Christ? And for those who kind of, it went over your head, the video kind of 
spoke about the lion is a patient predator, right? The lion knows that as long as he waits patiently, one within the herd is eventually going to fall behind close enough for the lion to reach once he attacks, right? The devil patiently waits for us to be weak and to be isolated. Now, I know for myself, and I'm sure others in this room might have also had a similar experience, it is the moments when I have felt weak or isolated, been vulnerable at that moment, is when I have had in the past an assault of the enemy against my mind, against you know, my walk with the Lord, when I'm in that vulnerable place, he knows he can't get to us as long as we flee temptation. He knows we're definitely stronger than him as a body of Christ. Isn't that a powerful thought? When you're in community, when you're connected, and I'm not talking about casually connected, I'm talking about connected as in heart and soul, he knows that you are much stronger together. He'll patiently wait for us to remove ourselves from community, to start to compromise, to weaken our spirit. And isn't that the way it works? And that's when he knows he can attack. And that's how he wins. I love kind of revealing what the enemy would like to do because if we know how he will be patiently wait and how he wants us to be separated from the body of Christ, then we understand the importance of staying connected, of being within the body of Christ. Now let me share a story that illustrates the consequence of being disconnected to the body of Christ. This story, exactly of what I've just shown you on that video and shared, this story highlights it so well. The story highlights... Four stages, four stages of faith regression, okay? So instead of moving forward in your faith, going backwards in your faith, four stages. Let me read from Luke twenty-two thirty-one. It says this, and this is the story that Jesus predicts Peter's denial to begin with, and then we're going to go through the denial. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. Back to what we were just, you know, going through. He's looking to whom he can devour, right? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, and when you have returned to me, not so it, something's about to happen, right? Strengthen your brethren. So I love how, when you have returned, go back and be connected again. Go and strengthen your brethren when you have returned. Okay? So, because we're about to read what happens. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, it's interesting that Peter boldly declared his commitment to Christ while in the safety of his brothers. Right? Similar to the context of what we have right here, boldly be able to declare my loyalty and my faith with my brothers and sisters in Christ, 
so easy, right? So wonderful to be able to declare that. Different story when you become disconnected. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. So let's go through the story now and let's talk about and see how Peter, through his disconnect and isolation, regresses in his faith. Luke twenty two fifty four says this, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter, Peter followed at a distance. So stage one of this faith regression is his following became distant. No longer is he in close proximity with Jesus. He's now following at a distant distance. Separated from the other disciples and isolated, Peter follows at a distance. And how the enemy would love for us to follow to begin with this, to begin with, right? Follow Jesus from a distance. Commit some of your life. Don't commit all of your life. Allow your commitment to him to be, you know, pretty good, not awesome. Just be half-baked at a distance. This is not what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 16, 24, where it's written, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the opposite to what Peter is, the, the state that Peter is in at this, at this stage. Not denying himself and following Jesus, but following at a distance. Peter is still following Christ, but incognito. He's no longer ready to die. Opposite to what he was declaring just moments ago, right? Having supper. I will go to prison with you and I will die for you. No longer the case. It has changed. Second, so the first one, stage one of Peter's regression was his following became distant. The second one, I'll go through it as I read the passage. It says in 55, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Peter sat among them. Who are them? Who are them? The ungodly, sinners, and the scornful. He's sitting among them. In Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law, he meditates day and night. This psalm reveals that you can't delight in the law of the Lord with ungodly people, in the company of ungodly people. So stage two of Peter's regression, stage two is this. His following became divided. His following now becomes divided. Now Peter, the guilty disciple, is mixing with an uncommitted crowd. 
He's a man without a country. He's no longer on one side. He's torn between the apathetic and the committed. So he's gone from this commitment to now like a man without a country. The following became divided. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm in the company of unsaved people, now hear me, I'm not talking about an unsaved audience or crowd or people that you are, you know, you have a heart to reach and to be able to witness to. I'm talking about the company, um, who you who you associate with, who you do relationship with. That's what I'm talking about. Peter is within a context where he's not with godly people. And of course, I'm not saying that he's close friends. I'm not saying that at all. But this is just a bit of an example. Hopefully it can highlight in our lives just what we need to be careful of because what happens here is Peter, his following becomes divided. The next one, I'll keep reading. In, Psalm 50, sorry, in, in Luke twenty two fifty six, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. So now there's a person who's recognized him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Stage number three of regression. Stage number three. His faith becomes deluded. I don't know him. I don't even know this man. His words now reveal his weakness, even among men and women, who pose no immediate threat to him. They're simply identifying the fact that he was with Jesus, that he was one of those. No, no, no. I do not even know the man. His faith becomes deluded. In 58, verse 58, it says this, And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Stage four of Peter's regression. Now, let me again highlight the fact that I'm talking about, right, what happens, what is the danger of disconnecting? That's what we've been talking about. What's the danger of disconnecting? What's the danger of isolating yourself away from the body of Christ? Great little example. But stage four, his further, his further became denial. So from being the disciple who declares his loyalty and declares his, I will, I will die with you, I will go to prison, I'll do whatever it takes, to now denying Jesus. Peter rejects any association with Jesus. His words no longer display apathy, but now his words display rejection. He's completely and utterly rejecting the fact that he was with Jesus or knew Jesus or had anything to do with Jesus. The story finishes and it says this. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, church, you know, uh, how can I use Peter, (laughs) a mighty man of God, to, I guess, illustrate what it can be like when we isolate um, ourselves when we disconnect. Well, to be honest, whether you are a Christian long term or whether you have just come to know the Lord recently, we are in the same position of needing to be connected to the body of Christ. And when we disconnect to being with the body of Christ, we become an easy target for the enemy. And here's Peter, right? Already with Jesus after the supper, he's tired. He goes to the Mount of Olives and Jesus asks him just to stay awake and pray. But even in his you know, willingness to want to stand by Jesus, he's already in a place of vulnerability. He's tired. He falls asleep. And then, of course, later on we see what happens. The point is, it doesn't matter what stage of our faith journey we are in. You're not meant to do your faith journey alone. You are not. Not single people, not couples, not families, no one. There is strength and protection in togetherness. There really is. As we agree in prayer for anything, knowing that, Lord, I'm with the body of Christ and there is protection in that. I've shared it before and Obviously, this is not a plug for Connect, but I absolutely love the, uh, the opportunity to gather with some of the guys in the church, you know, and just do life together. Connect. And by the way, can I just say, connecting with the body of Christ doesn't necessarily only mean hanging out with people that are godly, because how the enemy would also love for you to isolate yourself on the inside of what is going, what really is going on. Are you hearing me? So sometimes we might even associate ourselves with the body of Christ, be in somewhat of a relationship, and yet still be tempted to isolate what is truly going on in your life, the internal battles that you are facing, and the same warning for those who actually are disconnected and do not associate themselves at all, is for you that don't don't disconnect, don't isolate yourself, don't put yourself in that place. A couple of weeks ago, I shared, and I was, you know, it was authenticity that I was speaking about, and I did share that at a moment of my life there when I was younger, I had I fell into a bit of a season of lust and different things, and you know, just putting it out there that I'm you know, human being. And, and, and the point is, right, the enemy at that time wanted me to stay isolated. Because while I was isolated, while I was, and, and by the way, I didn't stop going to church. I was still in church. I was still associating myself with Christian people. But on the inside, I was isolating myself, not wanting to isolate myself, Mostly because of shame, mostly because of guilt, mostly because of reasons like that. But even in that place, 
the enemy will use that isolation to, to cause you to be even further trapped to the point that if he can, he'd love to take us out. Love to completely and utterly take us out. So don't do your journey alone. You know, I, I think about a couple of stories, Adam and Eve, right? Eve, and this is no, this is not dissing women in any way. <laughs> but when did, when did Satan come and tempt her? Not when she was with Adam, but when she was alone, when she was not with her husband, is when the devil came and tempted her, right? I think about David. David, King David, he was a man of great um, warfare and, and, and victory, and he was you know, doing mighty things. It was when he decided not to go to battle that he was in that place of vulnerability. He was alone, away from his men, that the enemy, he was tempted, and as we know, he fell. So, church, I hope that this um, sermon is able to illustrate that we are better together. We just are, you know, and look, if you have been in that place of isolation or you are right now in that place of isolation, the place that I spoke about, can I tell you something? Go and connect, truly connect, not superficially connect. Go and seek a spiritual person, somebody who you can trust, somebody who would not, you know, chuck stones at you, but that would come alongside you and lovingly help you out of that place of isolation. Because there is so much life in being truly connected, so much freedom in being truly connected. And as we have seen from the Word, you know, from the, as I began the sermon, that we are meant to do life together, quite simply. Can I invite the uh, worship team to come back up? And let me just pray.